So those of you who weren't aware, when Andrea just asked a minute ago, uh, what we're doing, what we've been doing for a few weeks, this series is based on um, this book by a chap called Chris Rogers, who's a pastor over in uh, East London. Um, and he's also done a series of YouTube clips, um, which, which I found quite good. I've been looking at them um, this week. And what's really nice about him, he's a really honest guy. Um, when you write a title, when you write a book called Making Disciples, and you're aware that's the Great Commission, Jesus' last words to us all were, go into all the world and make disciples, then to then turn that into your book, um, I think takes a bit of guts, to be honest, from him. But actually, he comes across as a really humble guy. Um, and he's not saying he's got all the answers, but he's trying to give examples of how we can do the right thing. And he gives a really good example, I think, where he, he says, you just imagine if we um, had to look at how, many, how much knowledge we might have of the Bible. Um, now, if I had to put my hand on my heart and say, how many Bible verses could I quote? Um, I think I'd only need one hand to count them, to be honest with you. Yeah, maybe not even quite that much. Um, but equally, when the kids have just gone out to Sunday school just now, or sorry, kids group, um, when they've gone out there, if they came back and they'd done like a memory verse and they'd learned some verses, maybe they'd learned, oh, that you've got to love God first, others second, and yourself last. I know that's not an official verse, but that's, that's the kind of sense. Um, but actually, they came back all mean and they got some sweets which they just wanted to keep themselves. And they didn't act in that way at all then we think, well, hold on a minute. They might have learned something, but has it reached their heart? Probably not. Has it reached their hands, and are they acting on it? Well, it doesn't look like it, no. And I wonder what the evidence is from our day-to-day -day lives, Monday to Saturday included, that says, yeah, that person over there, you can tell he or she's a Christian, look at the way they treat other people. Would your evidence be positive? Or would it more? Not, well, I don't know why I said, would your evidence be positive or not? Would my evidence be positive or not? Would people look at me each day and say, yeah, is Dave really a Christian? Really? Is that how he treats people? But equally, let's not beat ourselves up too much. We've all done things and tried to get things right and it not gone perfectly. Um, last year, I remember just before the carol service, I, had to send out, I decided to send out a text to quite a few friends to say, would you like to come to the carol service? So I sent a very simple text. Um, I looked up the words this week, so I got it word for word. And it basically said this. Hi, we're going to the carol service at Christchurch on Sunday, 6pm. Would you like to come with us? Be great to see you. And of course, I got a few comebacks saying, oh, sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't. And probably the people I least expected to come back and say, yes, please, said, cool, yeah, please, we'd be delighted. Thanks so much for asking us. And they've got quite a big family, so with their five and our four, we actually, they gave us a lift in the end, they had a big people carrier. And actually, it turned out, they were just dying, if you like, not, not dying in that sense, but really keen to be asked. And all I did was send a text. Now, think how many texts you send each year, loads and loads and loads. But that text just said to a family, yeah, do you fancy coming along to carol service? And they did. To be honest, I thought it would probably be the parents who came along. Um, but then they grabbed their teenagers and dragged them along too. And we were sat just over there in a big long line and uh, the, the dad nudged me as soon as we got in. I thought, oh goodness, what's he going to say? He goes, oh, uh, I forgot to say, I can't sing at all. I'm dreadful at singing. I said, that's all right, mate. I'm hopeless at singing too. It doesn't matter about it. We're not singing here to be musically correct. Yeah, we're just singing to say thanks to God. He said, cool, that's all right. I thought it was going to be weird here. And actually, that's what a lot of people think about church, that we are a bit weird. Maybe we are a bit weird. 
<laughs> Thanks, Rob. Yeah, that was Rob Milton who shouted that. Thanks for yourself, by the way. Uh, the, the loud one in the middle. Um, but, but that's really important. So today and, and in this series, we're trying to look at how we can connect what we know in our head with what we've got in our hearts, with what we can actually do and act out in real life. Because actually, if you think being a Christian is being here on a Sunday morning, sorry guys, you got it a bit wrong. It's not about coming on a Sunday morning, having a cup of tea, going home having Sunday lunch, and then doing the rest of the week as you please. Church should really be a bit like a marathon pit stop. You see those marathon runners doing 26 and a bit miles. When they get to the water station, by golly, they need a drink, don't they? We should be like that, Monday to Saturday, thinking I'm putting so much in, trying to serve my God so much, that by the time it gets to Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, I need that pit stop. I need that sponge over my head. I need that drink. They probably have Lucozade and other sweet drinks and all sorts of things. But they really need that boost to get them going again. I've got to be honest, that's not really how I normally approach church on Sunday. Is it how you approach church on a Sunday? To be powered up, ready to go again for the rest of the week, ready to live as a disciple the rest of the week? And when I was given this topic, um, I thought about when people are in a hole... And we've probably all been at holes at some point in our life. Maybe not physically, but I bet we've all been either in a financial hole or a friendship hole or a job hole or a sadness hole. Somewhere we've just been begging someone to lift and get us out of it. Our hands been up there waiting for someone to get us out. Praying for someone to get us out. And so if one of us Christians will buy it, and we just saw someone in a hole, and our fleeting presence was just enough to say, it's all right, mate, I'll pray for you. I don't think they'd think, yeah, that little tiny glimpse of that person shouting, I'll pray for you, that person's a really good follower of Christ. I'm sure if that was literally what we found, if we went out of here right now, and there'd been a big hole formed in Lord Street or something, and someone had literally fallen down a hole, we wouldn't just kind of, oh, well, we'll pray for them. At the very least... We'd look in. We'd see how they were. At the very least, we'd spend time. Are you all right? Do you need anything? Do you got anything? We'd gather other people around. We'd see what we could muster between us to see if we could get this person out. Chris Rogers tells a story about um, someone who, in that situation, would then just climb down, join the person in the hole, think, actually, if you're in a hole, at least it's better to be in the hole with someone else, and then you can push them out again. You can help them get out. Now, we're not saying that prayer is wrong, obviously. But if we just show our faith without acting on it, on it, then that's not good enough. In James, it says, faith without deeds is not good enough. The message puts it much, much stronger. The mes- message puts it like this. It says, God talk without God action is outrageous nonsense. Outrageous nonsense. That's quite typical Eugene Peterson, isn't it? Yeah? Really hitting it to us. Speaking the words without acting the words is outrageous nonsense. Doesn't make any sense at all. So that's like the example, that person in the hole. If all they saw of us as Christians is someone just whizzing past, saying, it's all right, I pray for you. I don't think they'd think, oh yeah, that's the person that's really going to help me get out of here. That's the person who's really going to spend time making a difference. But how often is that the case? Do we hear of a problem, but don't actually do enough to try and solve that problem? We heard in our reading about Moses 
stuck. And what has he got to help him? Um, a stick. Right. I bet if you had a stick and you had someone in a hole, and obviously the hole was a lot longer than the, step, and then the stick plus your arm, you'd go, what's the use of that? And you think, well, what can I do with this? And that's what he says, isn't it, in the, in the reading? He says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? What if, when we try and do something to help someone out, they chuck it back in our face? Well, that's a little bit like when I sent those text messages for the carol service. Not everyone replied and said, oh, thanks, Dave, thanks for asking, that'd be great, we'll be there. Some people said, sorry, I can't make it, for whatever reason. Fine. So not everyone responded positively. Some people did, some people didn't. But there's Moses in a bit of a pickle, to put it mildly. What's he got to help him? A stick. And God literally says to him, uh, so um, what is that in your hand? A uh, stick. What's that going to do? What's that going to do for me right now, God? Well, throw it on the ground. I bet Moses thought, good, I can do that bit. Yeah, I can chuck a stick on the ground, no problem at all. And then, of course, it changed into a snake. Well, if, like us, if that, that something changed into a snake, we'd do the same. We'd do a runner as well, I think. We'd try and get out of there. But then Moses had to show a lot of courage. Okay, pick it up. Thankfully, God said from the tail end, being a bit more dangerous than the mouth end, but pick it up. Okay, well, still, I think at that point, I'd have gone, really? I don't think I really want to do that. But he did. He picked it up from the tail end and it turned back into the stick or the staff. You see, God wants us to act, but God's not leaving us on our own at all. God wants to act with us in whatever we're doing. So when I've been looking at this talk, I've been, as I say, listening to this Chris Rogers talk and also um, looking at a few other modern examples of this. And Chris Rogers gives an example of a time when he was holding a church barbecue outside their church that had a service and they're holding a free barbecue so people come along and get food. And a guy turns up who's um, just moved into a flat nearby who didn't have much stuff with him. He had, you know, a cooker in the flat that was given to him, a chair, but didn't have pots and pans, didn't have the, the usual things. So um, he comes over to Chris, who's the pastor, and this guy asks Chris, the pastor, to pray for him. So this guy's actually asking for prayers. Chris says, yeah, cool, sure, you know, I'll, I'll certainly pray for you, no problem at all. But then Chris thinks, well, yeah, I can do that. But actually, if I can be the answer or be part of the answer to this prayer, then why don't I do that? So Chris said to the guy, come back, come back a minute. Give us a list, what's all the stuff you need? So the guy comes back and says, oh, it'd be great to have, you know, pots and pans, uh, some cutlery, some plates, uh, a wardrobe, a bed, yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff. So Chris then goes onto Facebook and, and puts on Facebook, uh, just met a guy, he really needs a few of these bits. I wonder if anyone can help. And within a week, people had donated pretty much all the stuff he needed. So they got together in the church the following Saturday and started taking this stuff up to this guy's flat. Fantastic. The guy was made up. And Chris thought, yeah, well, that's us. Not just praying for something, but if we can help and be part of the answer to prayer, we'll do that as well. So that's what they did. But... As I'm walking this stuff up the stairs, Chris suddenly thought for a minute. He thought, hold on a minute. I'm carrying a wardrobe up the stairs. Who has a spare wardrobe? Anyone have a spare wardrobe? I don't have a spare wardrobe. Surely you have your wardrobe. So he gets back in contact with the guy who gave the wardrobe. I said, the guy, can I just check a minute? Was, was this one of your spare wardrobes you just have lying around? And I go in, no. I gave that man my wardrobe because I think he needs it more than I do. So this pastor said, so where are your clothes now? Oh, they're just in boxes. That's fine. This guy 
needs a wardrobe. I want to show him God's love and give him a wardrobe. Now, that's a far cry, isn't it, from just shouting to someone fleetingly, I'll pray for you. Giving up stuff that is really good. Giving up stuff that is perfectly good for you, but you could go to someone else. Not just giving someone a lift up, but spending time with them and giving them real help. You see, in this series, we're looking at how we become disciples. And I'm sure everyone's done the tool on the website. Put your hand up if you've done the tool on the website. Excellent. Most people have. Well, I don't know about you, but whenever I put something in the computer, I get a little bit suspicious that it's going to be a little bit corrupted, a little bit, so those cookies are going to do various things to it to make it go a bit wrong. So I thought I'd have a little bit of a look at this tool. Um, and basically, I thought, well, okay, I'll do the questions, I'll look at what comes out. I came out as bean-shaped, which was, which was fine. Um, uh, uh, Jen was sat next to me and said, yeah, that, that's about right for you, straight away, so I, I must have done it reasonably, honestly. And, and as I was doing it, I thought, okay, I wonder how they're going to create the, the response, because you get that kind of circular picture, don't you? Well, I just noticed all they do really is make it into a bar chart or a, or, or a pictogram. Now, when you're at school, you do picture the buses going up or the cookies going up, whatever you're eating. All they've basically done is done that in reverse. So it's a circular bar chart. And if you did a high score, they just do 10 minus a score, so it becomes more central. And if it's a low score, they, um, they do 10 minus that, so it's a bigger score. So you get, a, you get a lumpy shape. And the shape's really useful because if you then think to yourself... Okay, what does that mean for me? I think it can be really helpful. Now, mine came out, and you might be surprised by this, given that I'm a teacher, that my head uh, knowledge was probably my my weakest aspect, which I'd agree with, to be honest. I've I've got to be honest, I don't spend lots of time every day reading the Bible. I know I should, but I don't. Um, Someone asked me after the first service, how many Bible verses do you know? I think I got to about three, um, which is not great. But if you're sat there thinking, well, I need to know more before I can be a disciple. No, you don't. No, you don't. Do you know how doctors learn to do operations? Well, I'm going to show you. If we can have the next slide, please. When my sister went to medical school, she was astonished. She said, do you know how they do it? You have to watch one being done, whatever the procedure is. Then you do it. Then you're the teacher to teach someone else. So whatever the procedure is. Now, let's be honest. If you're the next one going to do the operation... You're going to watch that pretty carefully, aren't you? Yeah, you're not going to just have a passing interest. Now, when I was watching the rugby yesterday morning, I only had a passing interest in it, really. Yeah, I wasn't that bothered about the score, honest. Yeah? I only had a passing interest in it. But when you're going to do the next operation, can you imagine how many questions you'd be asking? Right, why have you done that? What about this bit here? How would you get that bit right? And that's how closely we need to be asking and getting close to Jesus. If we're his disciples, we're literally walking in his dust. Now, I don't think Jesus was walking stompily along, kicking up loads of dust. But his disciples wanted to be covered in that dust, get close enough to him that they can get the essence of him. What's he really doing as he walks this earth? Just as that medical student would be doing, as the doctor's doing some kind of procedure, if I'm doing this next, I want to get it right, I want to make sure that I watch carefully and get all the bits of knowledge I need to now so that when I'm teaching someone else and that pesky student asks a question I can't answer, then I can at least give something sensible back. So we don't have to know loads and loads, but we do have to watch and listen to what Jesus did. And then we need to act. It's us doing the action next. Not 10,000 days later when we've had hundreds of Bible studies and we've memorised every verse in the Bible. 
when Rob and his team go out to pray for people during this service each month? To be honest, I think that's the hard bit. Sitting here in the warm, listening for 20 minutes, singing nice songs, having the presence of God with us. That's lovely, isn't it? That's easy. I remember a few years ago when we went to, I think it was New Wine, and I said to Jen, I think this is like a foretaste of heaven, this. Every, all of God's people together. Let's be honest, the tough bit is often the Monday to Saturday, the Sunday afternoon, the Sunday evening, when people are challenging us quite rightly on what we believe. And saying, do you really think that? And you can imagine, as someone who's a science teacher and studied science for many years, I've often had questions. The, surely the Bible says this, surely that's not compatible with this part of science. Loads of questions about that. I'm pleased to say that each time I'll be able to say, well, this is actually what the Bible says, and this is actually how it works. And they go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But if I didn't know something, I'd be struggling. So we have to have some head knowledge, and then transfer them to our heart. But then we need to act, not just wait and wait and wait and wait till we've got all the answers. Because, as we probably know, we'll never have all the answers. So there's that person in the hole. Could be us. Could be someone else. Could be a financial hole. Could be a spiritual hole. Could be a relationship hole. Could be an employment hole. Which people would you stop to help? And which people wouldn't you stop to help? Can I have the next slide, please? I've heard people say in this country, oh, no, we don't want any more in here. Really? Isn't everyone welcome? Would we turn people away from our church? Would we turn people away from our country? Are there some people that are not even good enough to be in a hole? Of course not. Every single person was born perfect and beautiful. Sometimes life makes things go wrong. But we can be the people, not because of us, but because of Jesus, who helps those people in whatever hole they're in. And it doesn't have to be a refugee. Oh, we were watching a kids' programme the other day with our kids, all of us in, in tears, just looking at the um, difficulties that certain children are born with. And my kids were going, goodness me, Dad, I didn't realise people this, like this existed. Because they don't see them at school, they don't go to their school. People in all sorts of holes, if you like, in all sorts of difficulty. But we know that how we act, not because of our power, but because of, like the stick, what God can do with what we offer, we know so much can be achieved through God's power. And next slide, please. Now, no one, no one would walk past a crying child and say, it's all right, I'll pray for you. No one would. Every single one of us would stop and work out what we could do. We might notice they didn't have their shoes on. We might notice there looks like there might be someone in the far distance. Might be relatives, may not be. If we saw that child outside our front door, down the road, in the park, every single one of us would stop. But we all know, don't we, let's be honest, that sometimes we see that in an older person, bit older than that little child, and we do just walk past. I've done it myself, I'll be completely honest. 
So what have we done? What, what have we got? What can we do next? Doesn't matter how much you know, does it? We can all help someone who's stuck in a hole. Can we have the next slide, please? I don't know about you, but whenever you're with someone else, life can often seem so much easier. I remember when my dad was alive, uh, when I was little, whenever I was scared and I just grabbed onto my dad's hand, the world just seemed so much easier. My dad had this kind of saunter, and it seemed lovely, just to kind of hold his hand and keep walking. And whatever was there that was a bit scary, I thought, it's all right, I've got my big dad with me. He's helping me. And my dad's passed away now, and maybe I'm in that role for my kids. But I know, as a dad myself, with a hold in the hand, my hand might be steady, but my heart's not always steady. Sometimes as we walk in and going through life, we can see things go, goodness me, how can I navigate this? And how can I navigate that for our family? How can we navigate that for our friends? That's really, really hard. And sometimes, I'm sure we all think, oh, I'm not really equipped for this. I'm not really cut out for this. There may be sometimes when someone's in a hole that we think, how do I help that person? And pray undoubtedly is important there. And then sometimes we need to direct them, but stick with them while we direct them. I spoke in the first service about CAP, which is a great charity which I support. It stands for Christians Against Poverty. Um, And, of course, which Christian wouldn't be against poverty? Um, To say they give proper financial help to anyone who needs it. Anyone who is stuck in in debt or financial trouble, they can can help them. And they're qualified and trained to do that. Now, I don't think if someone came to me with a debt problem, I'd be able to help them very much, other than direct them to CAP. And CAP are coming to Tuesday at 2 in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's the end of, end of November. And normally it's Cap Sunday around this time of year. They haven't sent me literature this year, but they always uh, want, want the, the charity promoted. And that's wise because, of course, some holes need specialist help. But whoever we're helping to get that support, let's hold their hand on the way. Let's contribute. Let's create and let's lead together. It's no good just saying, oh yeah, I'll send you off to that and not come with you. It's a bit like the Alpha course, isn't it? One of the great strengths of that is if we invite someone and go with them. We're with them. Say, yeah, come with me, I'll come with you. We all love to be with someone, don't we? To To help us, to chat to. But it's so easy as well just to think, yeah, well, someone else can do that, can't they? I'm busy, I've got shopping to do, I've got something else to do. I found myself last night, my daughter was playing Monopoly downstairs. I said, Dad, will you come and play Monopoly with me? And I stupidly shut her back, no, um, no, I'm just sort of my wardrobe. When do I ever do that? Never. I'm not a wardrobe kind of guy, really. I should have given it to the other chaps, shouldn't I? But, but then I thought, no, hold on, Emily, I'll be three minutes. I thought, I don't want to spend my life in a wardrobe, do I? What a waste of time is that? It did look a complete mess. It still does, because didn't care about it. Yeah? So I went back and played... Um, yeah, Jen's nodding. Thanks, love. And, and, and so I went back and played Monopoly. But as I was playing Monopoly, my son was also playing, and they've just moved out of playing, like, Frozen Monopoly and Round the World Monopoly to the original Monopoly. Yeah, which they said, hey, can we play proper Monopoly, which is basically the grown-up version we, we all grew up with. Um, so anyway, they all started buying all the stuff, and my son's very proud. He's now got houses and then moved to hotels on Mayfair and Park Lane, all those kind of things. And he had all this stuff piled up um, on his board, and then, of course, I landed on Mayfair and had to pay him miles more money than I had in my thing. 
And I said to him, oh, Henry, do you remember what it says in the Bible about the rich young ruler? <laughs> and someone, it wasn't Henry, said, but you don't. And I thought, no, that's just us, isn't it, really? We're all a bit Monopoly players. We build up all the things we want. But no one's going to ask at the end of time, how much Monopoly money have you got? How many hotels on Mayfair have you got? How many people have you helped out of a hole? And not just us, but as I say, God through us. Can we have the next slide, please? Now, please don't get me wrong. Obviously, as a Christian, I'm not going to say, don't pray. But I love this picture because, I don't know, I shouldn't really say this is how I think prayer should be because it's not up to me, is it? But it's that sense of if when someone needs something prayed about, then people join together. I don't think it's obvious from that picture which person is the one being, in inverted commas, prayed for. Either they both are together praying equally, or the person who's doing the prayer for the other person has completely taken that burden on themselves. And they think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in this, guys. I'm with you in this. I want to help you with this. I'm not just going to say a prayer, leave you to it for six months. I'm with you in all of this. So we, we pray, but let's pray with people. Let's pray so they know we're always praying with them. And we catch up with them. We, we uh, check out how they're doing in a few days. Maybe by text, maybe in person, whatever it is. So we can really help them. Can we have the next slide, please? Because, of course, we want to be that person giving them the hand up. And there'll probably be a time when we're that person needing the hand up. I don't think that boy probably wanted the hand up from that girl, did he? I think that boy probably wanted to say, yeah, I can do it myself. But he couldn't. This time last year, when I was in that big boot after I had my Achilles tendon injury, that really, really was tough for me. I like helping people. I like doing stuff for people. And for those three months, I could pretty much do nothing for other people. But actually, that taught me quite a lot. And although my head knowledge wasn't great uh, about three weeks ago when I did that tour, I think if I'd done it 15 months ago, it'd have been even worse. Because I spent a bit more time in that three months improving my, 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 um, my head knowledge. But that can be really tough for people when the thing that you normally do to help people isn't possible for a period of time. What else can you strengthen? So this series is about connecting the head and the heart and the hands. I think it's really important. But remember, it's not just our hands. God didn't say to Moses, what are you going to do with your hands? He said, what is in your hands? Maybe he's given you, in your hands, a bank card. You're right for the next one, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe he's given you a pencil. You might think, a pencil? What can you do with a pencil? Well, if those of you have done the Operation Christmas child boxes, pencils and colouring pencils and very simple things that go to those children. And those shoe boxes go to them. That's, and actually, I found out last year, probably they'll only get one in their lifetime. I assume those children get one every year. And they don't. Most of the time, they only get one in their lifetime. <laughs> And um, I sponsor a child in, in Africa through compassion, which I think, yeah, that's all right. But really? One child? I could sponsor more than that. And I should do. And it's so lovely when I get their little letters back to me. And it takes me, what, five minutes to write a reply letter? But yet you think, how much joy do they feel? They can look back at that letter. Someone in a far-off country I've never met cares for me. Someone loves me. Someone wants to spend time telling me a little bit about themselves and sharing their life with me. That makes us feel great, doesn't it? 
So how much better does it feel when other people are doing it for us? Okay, next slide, please. Now, um, you remember last year we did that wonderful series about going around and sharing meals with each other. And I think one of the best things about that was there was no kind of compulsion on people to kind of invite back. Sometimes with friends, they're kind of, oh, you invite someone, they invite you back, and it keeps going, and you kind of run out of whose turn it is. And sometimes that can get a bit embarrassing. But we know God's love is completely unconditional. We just know you have it. It's grace that we don't deserve. So surely we should be walking around willing to spend our time and use whatever we've got to help others willingly. And you might be sitting there thinking, to be honest, I do want to help others, but I'm not quite sure how I can do that. How can I help little old me? What have I got? And it might be that money's not something you've got loads of, or time's not something you've got loads of. Or skills or talents you think, I'm not sure I've got any of those things really. Well, Chris in the video sets a good example. He says, um, Chris the pastor in uh, East London, he says, well, I like, like photography and, and art and drawing. How can I use that? Well, it turns out you can. So maybe if you're sitting there thinking, generally, what have I got that I can share? What would be my stick that I can offer to other people? Let's ask God. Let's ask other people. What do you think I could share with other people? It might be make a great cup of tea. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And one of the great things about those meals together was the food, the drink didn't really matter, did it? It was the time being together having fun. Because we want people to know that when you're in a hole, you're one step from that freedom and that enjoyment. We have discovered that step. That step of saying, yes, Jesus, and I've got it wrong. And one of the very few Bible verses I do know is John 3.16. Which, if you don't know that one, you're even worse than me. But not, the, not a worse count, you know. God so loved the world that he gave his son to die. God, I give my son to die? No way. But he did. So that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. Now, loads of people believe in Jesus. Jesus is not looking really for more believers. He didn't say, did he, in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make new believers. He said, go and make new disciples, new followers, new people that do as I do. Not people who just know it, not people who just care, but people who use their knowledge and their care to do. And there's a big world here in Southport, the whole of our country, the whole of our world, where people need that, that truth. That step out of the hole into freedom and then after the food comes enjoyment. Spending time together with people where we connect what we know in our head, what we have in our hearts and our action. Can I ask you to stand for me please? Jesus Christ, we thank you for your presence with us now. We thank you for the perfect example, perfect, perfect example you set to us on the earth. We thank you that whenever people came to you, you didn't just help them with material needs, you helped them with what they really needed. 
I pray now, Lord, that we won't just know the right thing to do. We won't just be prompted by our heart of the right thing to do. But whatever the consequences, whatever the embarrassment, whatever the difficulty, we will use our hands, our time, whatever you've given us, to do whatever we can to help others.